I'm Nurse Jessica Seitz, along with Nurse Erica. We're Nurses Uncorked, the podcast that takes nursing facts with nursing comedy and makes a little cocktail out of it. We want to give a big trigger warning prior to this week's podcast episode. It does involve traumatic birth and a fetal demise. If you are pregnant, you may want to consider skipping this episode. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Nurses Uncorked. This is Nurse Jessica Seitz along with Nurse Erica. And we are back um, again today with um, a very, very interesting um, and sad story. But before we get into all of that um, and talk about, you know, what the the latest um, news that has everybody stunned, um, we're going to let Nurse nurse Erica jump in here and do our um, weekly drink of the week quickly um, because I really want to get onto this this story here. But this is part of our podcast because um, we would not be nurses uncorked if we didn't uncork something. <laughs> That's right. What, what, you, what you got there, Erica? So I thought I would piggyback on uh, the last cocktail, which was your favorite wine, Chardonnay. And yes. just talk about my favorite wine, which is Moscato. I love a sweet wine. I'm not a big wine connoisseur, but I love, love, love a sweet wine. And I don't even care what, what brand it is, what vineyard it is. I don't know that much about wine, but these are some of my favorites. <laughs> the, the Cupcake Vineyard makes a great Moscato, too. Um, yeah. Hand me Moscato like, anytime like and I'll be, be happy. Back, back in the day, I started out with white Zinfandel. <laughs> it's like I used to drink that they, and then someone turned like me most, on to Moscato. Most people start off as wine drinkers really, really sweet until they progressively yeah. uh, branch out their taste buds, if you will. Um, well, cheers to your Moscato. Um, even though I Cheers. will say, I think you, I think I turned you into a Chardonnay fan too, but, um, I did enjoy the Chardonnay. I did. Yeah. It's not bad. It's <laughs> a, I mean, it's drier, but it's not bad. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, I'm going to let nurse Erica talk about, um, this horrible, um, story that's out, um, in the nursing, well, really everywhere world right now. What, what's happening, Erica? Yeah, a few days ago, we were, uh, I think, all stunned when uh, there was a press conference given in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, alleging that uh, a baby in the process of um, a mom giving birth at Southern Regional Hospital, Atlanta, Georgia, that the baby was decapitated during the procedure. Uh, the attorney for the mom and dad gave a long, lengthy press conference, and it was hard to listen to and to watch. Uh, I had never heard anything like this before. Uh, and so basically what they're saying is that mom, who is 20 years old, dad is 21 years old. This was their first child. Mom was 37 weeks along and uh, had gone to the hospital about uh, 10 in the morning or so, 10 or 11 after the water broke. Um, they said that by 8.30 p.m. she was dilated. 
Uh, and then uh, shortly thereafter, they noticed a uh, shoulder dystocia. And this part is a little vague. It says from about 8.40 p.m. through midnight, I guess they were trying to deal with the shoulder dystocia. And of course, you know way more about that than I do. That's your specialty. Oh yeah, I have, uh, a, lot of, I have a lot to say, but we're, let's, let, we're gonna let Erica finish the story details. Yeah, so by about midnight, uh, because everything they tried was unsuccessful, they ended up taking her for an emergency C-section. And uh, reportedly when they opened her up, they found and delivered a uh, torso and limbs with no head and found the head wedged in the uh, vaginal canal, the birth canal, which they said mom then delivered the head vaginally. Vaginal, yeah. And it gets worse from there as if that isn't horrifying enough. Um, that, the parents are alleging horrifying. it's beyond. Yeah. The parents mm -hmm. are alleging that they were not told, you know, they were told that the baby died obviously but they were not told about the decapitation they said that they uh you know obviously requested to hold the baby which is typical after a fetal demise you know um and that they were denied that and eventually after quite some time they were allowed to just see the baby through a window and that the baby had been um uh what's it called Wrap, when you wrap them up tightly yeah Bund swaddled yeah swaddled thank you that's the word i was looking for and uh that the the head was propped there and so they never knew that that happened so they tried and they to, never they, got yeah to... they tried to make it appear as if that that as if it was still intact like and yeah know, put the the blanket up high around um yeah around the neck um that's so what I guess they're alleging. And then they, they apparently found out like three or four days later from the funeral home, not from ugh, the doctor, gosh. but from the funeral home who obviously received the body and then was obligated to report it to the county medical examiner, which the hospital was obligated to do as well, but they did not allegedly. And uh, then the parents found out that way and you so now there is a lawsuit in, in that in that part i think that the funeral home probably assumed that that was already common knowledge and I'm probably sure. was like since the baby you know had such a difficult delivery we're gonna you know present it that's what i probably think happened and that's how yeah. that information came came to be um and they are also um saying that they were urged or, or almost tried to push them into having the baby cremated. That was another thing that allegation. they stated. Yes. Yeah. Allegation. Yes. Was that, um, they were trying to say that it, it wouldn't be covered to do a burial, that it would be too expensive. Well, I, um, I think it, that, no, that they had requested an autopsy and they yes. were allegedly yeah, told that they don't meet criteria for the free autopsy. Which, I mean, if ever there was a coroner's case, this would be it, right? right. Ex <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, just a lot of um, different components to this. And there are nurses named in the lawsuit, 
which is, you know, a whole other concern, right? I've heard about six nurses that have been named in the suit. They're being accused of gross negligence for failing to follow proper procedures once it became known that a shoulder dystocia had occurred and that the nurses owed an independent duty to the mother and baby that they failed. Now, it doesn't go into any more detail than that, but it will be interesting to see what happens as the story unfolds. Definitely. So I think the majority of what we've heard so far has been from, you know, the mom and the dad's attorney. Um, He's the one that, you know, has come out and had the press conference and, you know, um, was was a pretty detailed, you know, uh, press conference from, um, you know, explaining as best that the uh, attorney could as, you know, as to what's happened and um, why they are suing. Um, Now, from what I have read, the only thing that um, statement that the hospital has made, um, according to the hospital, they said they could not speak much on it. Um, They were trying to explain to people that the uh, physician, who I will say um, ha- is a female, and she's been a physician since 2000. So this obviously is a, from what I would say, an experienced OBGYN that has 23 years under her belt. So not like a, you know, not a newbie, not somebody fresh, not somebody right. not a resident or something. I mean, this is a doctor that's been practicing for quite some time. Um, the hospital made it a point to say that the physician is not um, employed by the hospital, which for us is kind of common knowledge. I mean, the majority of the time, yeah. physicians are really just contracted. Uh, granted, yeah, they have privileges at a hospital, but they're not um, paid. Right, they're not employees directly of the hospital, unless they're like a hospitalist or an or right. an intensivist. Than they are, but it that's very common for uh, like an outside OBGYN group to be contracted and have privileges at the hospital. So when the, when the hospital made that statement, I think it was really, it was kind of deceptive and maybe to give the impression to the general public that doesn't know any different, that they have taken these huge steps and, you know, and they're no longer employed there. Well, they weren't really employed there to begin with. Right. You know, I I think that that's part of them. They're, they are saying that they assume no wrongdoing the hospital. Um, in, in this case, and, um, really the only fact that I read that they, or, or what they're saying is fact, allegedly, according to them, was that, um, the only thing that they could report was that the baby, um, had passed away in utero prior to the decapitation. That is a statement that the hospital made. Um, aside from that, they were not willing to give any other, um, information because it's, uh, ongoing right now and collecting you know information um and that's really the only details that that we've gotten um from the hospital side now and that didn't what come out is, right away at first no, they just no, said we deny later. all allegations and then it was a couple of days when suddenly the hospital said well it was actually what would be known as a fetal demise that the baby had already passed in utero right. which right is a whole different can of worms 
And actually, when I first heard about this, I reached out to you because this is your specialty. And I said, Jessica, what the heck? Have you ever heard of this? How could this possibly happen? And you had a very interesting take. You were the first one that I heard it from before the hospital ever even came out with that information. So why don't you tell us? When you brought this up to me, um, I had it was like the day it came out and I had not heard about it yet because Erica always gets the news first. I mean, (laughs) prior to anybody. (laughs) And I'm like, no, I haven't heard. And she was just like, you haven't? And I'm like, no, what? So um, my my husband was there, too. He's an OBGYN. I just so you guys have some background. If you don't know, I was a bedside labor and delivery nurse um, for 22 years before I left bedside. So um, L&D is all that I've done. So um, Erica, you know, gave me the facts of the of the story, um, you know, explaining all of this to me. And um, I watched the video that was out um, and um immediately i had a lot of questions a lot of questions that um as a lnd nurse it didn't make sense to me in the way that it was stated by the attorney and that is at no fault of his own because a lot of this is complicating um i mean people are not uh specialists they're not medical professionals um in in regards to this but um what i will say so well, let's let's kind of start from the beginning here, kind of take it step by step. So you have to think this is, um, it's sad for anybody, but this was the mom's first baby. She's young. The father's young. Um, it's 37 weeks, which, you know, is, is a few weeks early, but not preterm or anything like that. But usually um, if, if a baby is going to be LGA or large for gestational age, if you deliver a few weeks before that usually puts a lot of, uh, it's, it's more on your side that, cause that's when the baby gets a lot of their adipose tissue is in the last final weeks, you know, they do all their developing and they really start to pack on the pounds. Um, I'm at the end. So, um, I will say usually you're not as concerned about, um, an LGA baby, at at 37 weeks unless there's been some prior um uh, findings you know maybe the mom's fundus had been measuring bigger than normal um for weeks on end or um maybe the ultrasounds at 34 35 36 weeks were showing that the baby was measuring bigger um i from what i'm understanding i do not believe that or at least they're not stating that that there was any indication or anything like that um documented um at that point now whether that comes out later that who knows um but from what my understanding was you know they they went into the hospital um mom was in early labor and went in you know to have have a baby um so what what erica was mentioning you know a minute ago was immediately actually i'll say the first red flag was when i heard the attorney say that there was a shoulder dystocia that began at what was it 8 20 8 whatever 8 40 okay 8 40 um and that the baby was not delivered until 12 do you do you want to maybe tell people what a shoulder dystocia is they may not know yes so it's very common for first of all for um a prima gravita first time mom to sometimes push up to two sometimes three hours that can happen 
um, you know, as long as we're, we're seeing some dissent, some progress, um, you know, they'll let the mom continue, you know, to push as long as um, the baby is not showing signs of distress, um, you know, but there's a lot of factors that go into evaluating continuing to push, you know, you, you're checking the mom along the way, you're feeling for whether, um, is the baby just growing, um, for lack of a better word for people, like a cone head, if you've ever seen babies that come out and they, you know, they look all goofy because they're trying to fit. But a lot of times, you know, you'll, you'll think that the baby's descending, but then you, you assess and you feel the head and you've grown this much of edema on the top of the head and the, the, the baby's head actually isn't moving at all. Like their station is not descending. So um, there's definitely a lot of things to take into account as a mom is pushing. You know, you've got to watch the tracing. Um, you have to make sure that there is some type of progress happening. Um, is the baby ever actually getting low enough to the point that, yes, maybe you could possibly help assist the baby in delivery, which is what we're hearing happened um, at, at one point, at some point. I don't think they've said the time frame of when that assistance happened, but um, having that said, a shoulder dystocia basically is when the fetal head is delivered um, and the shoulders get stuck behind the mom's um, pubic bone. So shoulder dystocia, meaning shoulders can't fit. Um, you would never have a shoulder dystocia. It, it's an emergency situation. So when a baby um, hits the air, basically, they immediately their circulation starts trying to shift to their fetal circulation where they're trying to breathe outside air. So once a baby's head is delivered, it's a matter of life or death, literally, because you're basically at a state of hypoxia for the baby. Um, there's cord compression. The umbilical cord can be compressed. Um, the, the baby's trying to breathe regular air, but, but can't. Um, so there's literally minutes, just like you hear anybody else that in an adult, if you've done CPR, um, you know, three to four minutes, that's when brain damage can occur. So we're, we're thinking, you know, the same thing. So to hear the attorney say that there was a shoulder dystocia from 840 till delivery time, um, I think he means probably meant pushing started and, you know, okay. from being complete until delivery. Um, so I think that that was just kind of misstated slightly. Um, I would assume that that will come out later that the um, whether I, I think it was a vacuum um, was put on the baby's head at a certain time. You know, if I had to guesstimate, it's not going to be according to the complaint. They said that uh, the OBGYN applied excessive traction and then negatively or negligently failed to do the C-section in a timely manner. Um that's very possible these are all um allegations who who knows um like i said there's a lot of different different factors did she put the there's so many different things like if you do um a vacuum delivery we're taught as an l and d nurse um you monitor is the head coming down is it guided and actually coming out is the the suction on the baby's head popping off meaning um you're, you're trying to guide the head down and you're using so much force with the vacuum that it's not bulging and you actually end up. So there's a, a limited amount. We count them. We say one pop off, two, two pop offs. Um, 
usually you start getting to three three pop-offs with the vacuum and it's like hey okay either we need to make a decision here and switch what we're doing maybe do a section um get another doctor in the room um because if if we're going to attempt another another pull like I, all these things should be already coming up in your mind this is going to be a difficult delivery um i it's right there and i've got to get it out let me get another physician in here in case this is a horrible shoulder dystocia because these are all now at this point those are all signs um no idea from what they're saying that the physician did not call for um backup i you know whether that's true or not but that's what we're hearing was that the physician did this um the reports do state that the force that the physician put on this um baby was so intense that um the bones in the face of the baby were broken the skull um was broken and fractured in um, multiple spots um which you, you know with with the shoulder dystocia majority of times what we see if you know when you do have to put that amount of traction and you put that much pressure um on the shoulders is you get uh you can have a clavicle break um a lot of times they force the clavicle to break in order to get the baby delivered um you can have um nerve damage the baby can end up losing all mobility or feeling in one arm or the other arm um they can end up obviously having some type of neurological defect um, deficit if the hypoxia um, lasted long enough. Um, so there definitely is a, is a list of things that can happen. The mom can end up with a horrible fourth degree laceration. A lot of times they make that happen on purpose um, where, you know, they, they have, I know it's hard uh, just thinking about that for her yeah. um, so that they can make as much room as possible. You can end up damaging the mom's bladder because there's so much pressure put on um, the bladder with the force of, of pulling. Um, they can crack their tailbone. I mean, the list goes, goes on and on. Um, so who knows how long the actual shoulder dystocia lasted, but at some point, um, the physician, from what I understand, the head was, was out and the shoulders were stuck, no matter what this physician attempted to do, um, which... I don't know what maneuvers were used um, because we're we, we're not hearing all of that. But when a baby gets um, stuck in a position like that of a shoulder dystocia, um, usually the physician starts calling out um, different maneuvers for the nurses to do, um, which would be one of which you lay the mom the head of the bed completely flat and you pull the mom's legs way back because that allows for the most um room in the pelvis to kind of open up the pelvis to attempt to get the baby out um if that doesn't relieve it they'll usually tell you to do super pubic pressure which basically is um the nurse literally jumps up on the bed i've done this many times you straddle the mother if it's bad enough i mean you literally if you can envision having your butt in the mom's face and you're over her belly um so it's like you're facing the doctor kind of eye to eye with the doctor and you're taking your fist and you're basically, oh, I'm kicking the microphone here. You're basically trying to <laughs> rotate the baby's shoulder under the pelvic, pelvic bone. So you're putting so much pressure on the mom's pubic bone where like the baby's shoulder would be um, to get it to rotate. At the same time, the doctor should be telling you, put more pressure on the right side or the left side because they can feel internally and they can feel which shoulder is the one that's really stuck. They should be trying to get their hand in there and deliver 
the shoulder as you're pushing and trying to kind of rotate. Um, having that said, if all these maneuvers are failing, um, a, a maneuver of last last uh, resort is one that has not been used tons of times because this is something, it's a situation you don't want to be in. Um, so now you're down to saving the baby's life. You've got minutes. Um, so there's a, a maneuver called a Zavinelli, which is named after the doctor that came up with it. Um, and it's when you know this kid's not, you cannot get this kid out from below. It's, it's over. You've tried everything that you possibly can. And the only way now to save the kid is to try to get it, push it back up into the abdomen so you try to flex the baby's head down put the head down to the chin as much as you can um, and literally push and rotate the baby back up into the abdomen um, in order to rush back for a stat c-section so um, that's the understanding that we have that happened was that the physician attempted a zavinelli um, maneuver um, they went back for a stat c-section um, I I don't know if you have it, but there was a, a length of time from when they did say this, from when this stat C-section was called till delivery. They said delivery was uh, 11 minutes after midnight. Okay. I, and I think and they called the they stat like before midnight. midnight. Yeah. I thought it was right so, about midnight. So, I mean, 11 minutes, I mean. Is that it, good that's or a bad? a long time. I, I mean, with with hypoxia For, and not yeah but is it i mean how if when they say stat c-section what is the average from saying it to baby out oh gosh i mean in in the ideal perfect uh circumstances you could get that kid out within a few minutes i mean if you have um anesthesia there and available you have an or team ready to go um your hospital is set up and always has a stat room open um so you have a physician that is quick and knows how to do a section fast um all of these i mean i've seen it happen in three to four minutes from the time a stat is called till the baby comes out wow so um it it can happen um you know it d totally depends on what the circumstances were here i mean we don't know did they put her to sleep did were they able to just top off her epidural quickly and uh i i'm assuming they probably put mom to sleep um but these are all things that'll come out later on um and side note can i interject mm -hmm. uh Tell me if you agree, but I know when I was ha when I was pregnant a long time ago and having my kids, uh, and I was trying to decide which hospital I would be delivering at, I wanted to make sure that they had the OR on the same floor as labor and delivery because not all hospitals do. And can you That's imagine correct. having to wait for an elevator in an emergency situation like that? And that's things that people don't think to ask sometimes you know right um where at the hospital i was at yes it was literally you could go either way on the hallway you could get to the or and it you know our okay. l and d was like an l shape and each side in the middle had access to the or so you could be there you know within seconds we always had anesthesia was there 24 hours a day um so i don't know the size of this hospital i don't know how many deliveries they do a year i don't know um you know what what the case may be but um even if it is um, a small hospital 
depending on how well things were communicated up the chain of command, they should have already been calling in a team just in case because of how the situation was going. I mean, you have a mom that's pushing three hours. They're going to attempt a vacuum delivery if they can. I mean, these are all things that you would want um, a team already there on standby. Um, but, you know, who, who knows? This will be very interesting to to find out. When I hear about the physician causing a decapitation because of the force that she inflicted on this baby's head, immediately for me, I think about, this is essentially a full-term kid, um, to have a, maybe a preterm baby that is very um, fragile, they have no adipose tissue, their skin is um, vascularized, it's very thin, um, it, the, the cervix can easily clamp down quickly, um, it would not be that far-fetched in that case um, to possibly have something like that occur. Now. I have seen many, many times a shoulder dystocia that the force that is put onto this baby's head is extreme that you would think that their head would literally snap off, for lack of a better phrase. I mean, you think, how is that possible? But if you think in an, an everyday scenario, babies are designed to basically... I mean, not to have a shoulder dystocia, but they do. The physicians pull down on the kid's head to get the shoulders out. Like, there is a lot of force um, that can can be put on a baby, and they, they are fine. Um, so to fathom for me as a nurse that did this for 22 years, that a physician could possibly put that much force on a kid's... Now, I, I, I can think about... I get that the skull might be broke from pressure of whatever instrument they used. Um, the face might be broke. Maybe they put forceps and the forceps were on the side of the cheekbones. I get all that. Broken clavicle bones, um, nerve damage from it being compressed. But to actually, for me to visualize and think that a physician could possibly put that much force that it could cause a decapitation is not, I have never heard of that in all of my years. Um, I have never, never seen that. Um, and, um, I, I don't really know of any other stories here in the U S that have come out like that. It, that is a crazy, crazy event. So immediately my mind thought, what if, and this is my thinking, what if that kid ended up so wedged in there beyond the point of being able to then deliver the body from the abdomen, like it is so locked in there in that pubic bone that then when the physician tried to then deliver the baby via C-section, it still couldn't get the kid out the other way. Now you're trying to go the opposite way. Um, there's been cases like that that I've gone and, you know, there's other maneuvers. A nurse can go down as sterile as possible and literally they say they'll call for somebody to push from below. So the nurse goes under the sterile drapes and we literally go inside the mom like an exam, push the head up. You literally lock hands with the physician. It's kind of creepy. Um, and <laughs> you pop the kids. You, ah, it's like you meet their hand inside the mom. It's the weirdest thing the first yeah. time you do it. Um but that way you can push up so that they can get the kid out. Now, my thinking was, is it possible that this kid was so wedged? And by the time that they tried, the um, baby had already, you know, 
probably passed. And maybe now this was a flip of switching to now it's time to save mom's life because you do have two patients. You've got mom and you've got baby. Um, If it's been this long, I mean, you're thinking the time the shoulder dystocia took um, with no oxygen, the time that it took to try to push the kid back up in there and do a Zavinelli, the time it took to get to the OR, set up for a stat C-section, try to get the kid out, and then they can't get the kid out, um, and maybe they're feeling no no pulse, no the umbilical cord, there's nothing, and they know that this kid has passed and they still can't get the kid out. What if the physician had to make a decision at that point? How do we deliver this kid so that the mom's um, uterus doesn't start bleeding? How do we need to get the uterus to contract down? Maybe the patient started bleeding out um, and had to make a critical decision at that point. Um, I'm not saying that, that this is definitely, this is just another way of looking at it. This is a possibility. Um, and I could be very wrong. I, it's very possible that, hey, maybe this doctor got superhuman strength because her adrenaline was so pumped and scared um, that she did cause that. But if she did cause a decapitation during the shoulder dystocia, that in my mind, the head would have been delivered. And that if you cause that much force that the kid was right. decapitated, I, um, it's just uh, it's just a different way of looking at it. Um, I, I am very, very interested to find out later on as this comes out if um, my thinking is, is right. Um, and I'm not saying that this physician is innocent or, or not innocent. I, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Um, this is all going to come out eventually. Um, but maybe that is what happened. Um, so it's just a different way of thinking about um, how to look at that and um, seeing that maybe that it was had had to be done in the baby. It That would coincide with what the hospital is saying, that the baby yeah. had already passed before the decapitation. Um, I don't know. What do you think, And Erica? also, you had mentioned also that if it was a fetal demise and the baby was already dead at, at some point, um, the baby would be very hypotonic, right? There right. wouldn't be right. the tone there and that you could theoretically, even though we've never heard of this really ever happening before, you could theoretically see how that would happen easier than right. a healthy fetus, right? I, I will say, you know, yes, I... Totally. I, I will say for any physician that's an OBGYN, I, you know, and I talked to my husband about this in detail, a shoulder dystocia is their worst fear. Worst it nightmare. Is, it's awful. It's a scary thing for a doctor. It's something that you don't want to be a part of, but you know that it happens. Um, and the, you know, the key is quickly doing the maneuvers that were taught trying to alleviate whatever you can and getting that that kid delivered. Having that said, um, my husband's been a physician for a long time. He has never had to do a Zavinelli. He's never even witnessed a Zavinelli maneuver done. Um, That's how, um, and that's that he's worked at one of the busiest hospitals in Florida. Um, So he has delivered many, many, many thousands of babies. Um, That's how rare this particular scenario is wow um yeah there's not there's just not tons of data on it there's not uh 
a lot of a lot of cases because Zavinelli yeah. doesn't happen that often because you don't want it to. I mean, you want to avoid that last resort measure above anything else. You want to get that kid out. Yeah. So, what what is your opinion of the nurses that have been named in the lawsuit accused of gross negligence for not following proper procedures? It, does anything come to mind that they 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 could I mean, have not done that they should have done from a nurse? I mean, I I think you if you're really concerned that something bad is happening to your patient, absolutely, you should try to go up the chain of command. You need to have your charge nurse step in the room. Um, you yeah. need to uh, have another nurse. Well, I think they did have plenty of nurses in there, but it, your charge nurse needs to be aware. The charge nurse needs to then probably reach out to the AOD or whoever is um, in charge of the hospital at that at that time. Um, maybe call another physician into the room so to get another... Yes. Uh, set That's of what eyes I was on thinking, that uh, even if the doctor refuses to call for backup for another physician, the nurse should, in a situation like that, in my opinion, do it anyway, because you need yeah. to advocate for the patient. Yeah, you can call whoever um, the hospitalist might be, um, or if there happens to be another OB that is on the floor there seeing another patient, um, anything, get another set of eyeballs on there, another opinion. Um of course, nurses need to be their patient's advocate. Um, if if these nurses did nothing, um, then I, I can understand why they're um, possibly um, implicating them. But um, I also find that hard to believe. Um, when we have a situation like this, all hands are on deck, at least where I worked. You had every nurse that was possible in that room. You called for neonatology because you knew you were going to have a compromised baby coming out. You wanted to have NICU team there. Um, you would uh, anesthesia there in case you need to roll back for a C-section. Like You get all hands on, on deck. Um, but bottom line is, if you felt like this was a dangerous scenario always listen to your gut, always follow your instincts. Um, physicians are not God. They're not the end all be all. They are human beings just like anybody else. And if you feel like they're making a mistake or they're stepping out of bounds, um, it's your license that's at stake. Um, it's, it's yeah. you that can be uh, ultimately held accountable as well. Um, so you do have to look out for yourself. So I would say, um, follow chain of command. Um, maybe in the ideal situation before it got to that point, ask the physician if, if can they step outside with you for a second, have a discussion, um, you know, prior to even getting to that point of tugging on this, this kid's head. Um, just go, go with your gut. Have another nurse look, come in and say, um, there's a lot of molding and there's a lot of caput on this head. There's no way that she should even be attempting an assisted delivery. Whatever the case may be, just follow your gut and um, ask, ask questions. Just, um, you know, I, I agree. I, and have courage, yeah. have courage yeah. to stick up to, to stick up to the doctor if you need to, to challenge the provider if you need to, and to go above the provider if you need to. That is our Absolutely. responsibility as a nurse. Yep. Um, so we'll we'll follow up on this um, case yeah. when we can, when there's more information for sure. Um, we're going to switch it into Code Brown now. 
I think we need to do some <laughs> some lightness here or something because this yeah. is a, it was a hard a hard topic to um, talk about. That's for sure. Um, it was. Yeah. So uh, we we weekly now do um, our Code Brown Award of the Week, and that goes to somebody that's deserving of um, some stool. Um, somebody that's just done something that's just not okay. It's not, it's not good. Yeah. It's not okay. And, um, maybe they deserve a special prize. So Eric is going to award somebody a code Brown award. Who, who's getting it this week? I am. Uh, mine this week actually goes to a large group of people. Oh. And so I would like to dedicate this week's code Brown award to all of the Pennsylvania nursing leadership that went publicly against HB 106, the Safe Staffing Act, uh, Mm. and against safe staffing ratios. And we all know from the letter that came out that there was, was it 300 plus uh, nurse leaders of varying degree on there? And uh, yeah, they definitely are deserving of the Code Brown Award. Anybody that would go against uh, safe staffing ratios deserves some diarrhea or, or just That's a big, right. big mess. Just yeah, a I, big I, case I, of C. diff. Yep. Good choice, Erica. Good choice <laughs> on on this. Um, Well-deserved award for them. Um, we, we will get each and every one of them a trophy. Um, <laughs> because... Uh, yeah, Watch thanks, your mail. A lot. It's on the way. <laughs> thanks a lot, Pennsylvania leadership. Way, way to go. Way to... Way to stick it to the nurses. They really That's appreciate right. it. All right. So that ends this uh, Nurses Uncorked podcast. We'll see you guys um, next time. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.